Hey there, everyone. This is Dan Figella here at Tech Emergence, where we focus on uh, interviewing entrepreneurs, investors, and researchers in the domain of emerging technology. Although we've had a lot of specific science focus in augmented reality, in brain-machine interface, etc., we've also been lucky enough to have folks like Neil Patel and other startup experts on board, and it's been quite some time. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined uh, by Chris Kelly, who is the CEO of uh, our co-founder of Servata, which is a survey company. They were lucky enough to go through Y Combinator. They're now on their own out in California, got a half dozen employees, um, and taking things and running with it. And today we're going to talk about his experience going through what is considered to be the premier accelerator uh, in the world um, and how he's taken those business lessons forward and how other startups can do the same. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yes, indeed, my man. I'm very happy to have you here. Um, I really wanted to talk about first, I mean, you know, uh, the company Servata, for those folks who are tuned in right now, you can go to Servata.com. They sort of have a very unique way of uh, getting folks to be able to fill out surveys and, and finding different markets and being able to make market research uh, a lot uh, a lot more painless, so to speak. Um, and they work with large companies, small companies, etc. But Chris, I, I wanted to go into first sort of your experience of pitching that idea to Y Combinator, how you got in there, and what you think were some of the factors that helped, and and maybe ideas that might help other people too. We could start with your story. How, how did you get into Y Combinator? Yeah, so it's a pretty intense process to get in with a pretty low acceptance rate. Uh, they publish some of the numbers, um, so I don't know them exactly, though. I believe it's around 2% of initial applicants actually get an offer to get into the class, um, more or less. So it's, it's something that um, is a crapshoot at some, <laughs> at some point, I'm sure, for anything that's a 2% acceptance rate. And there are two uh, main steps to the process. The first one is you um, do a written application describing your idea and yourself and your team and um, few things like that, and then they invite a subset of those written applicants to come do a um, quick in-person interview in, at their headquarters in, in Mountain View, so they will fly you in from all over the world. Um, I happen to be in San Francisco, so it's a short drive, but if you're in Germany, you fly in from Germany for this 10-minute interview, <laughs> which is a funny ratio of travel to actual interview time. Yeah, that's great. And you got to love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's, I think that's called marketing. It, it, it's really nice... Uh, it's nice positioning. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so in, in this in this ten minute interview, it's uh, goes by very quickly, which is which is um, something you probably could expect from any intense experience like that. And they really try to drill down on what you are building and what evidence you have that people want what you're building. So they um, and really in both both parts of the process, the written application. Um, it's, it's mostly written. You also submit a video for you speak, I think, from Minute Max to describe what you're building um, and a bit about the team and such. And they dislike uh, applicants who can't articulate clearly what they do, um, can't describe in a couple sentences what the, what the product does, what it's for, what the service is for, who the service serves, etc. So that's something that they're big on. Is, and anyone you talk to who's been in the YC says, uh, make sure you don't use buzzwords, use plain English to speak. Uh, specifically to what you actually are building. And the same thing goes for the interview. Um, so when, when we did our interview, um, you walk into a room and, and there's a video camera there, which um, adds to the intimidation factor. They, I think they actually record all of the interviews and then go back later and look at their kind of false positives and false negatives and see how they can, can change them. So are there any signals that they 
um, reacted to, or they should have or shouldn't have it, et cetera. Um, so you walk in this room, there's three or four people sitting in front of you at a, at a table. Um, I should caveat our interview was over two years ago, so some aspects of this process may have changed. But you walk into a room and um, they start drilling you right away about um, your startup. So there's really no small talk. It's, it's, it's diving straight in. And of course, what they actually ask varies from team to team. Some teams um, seem to have a less intense experience. Some teams get, feel like they're getting cross-examined the whole time. It all depends on um, what your idea is and, and who you are and, and whether they know you and who's um, interviewing you, all those factors. Huh. And they actually will um, ask some pretty tough questions. They'll ask things like, how do you have proof that um, people will buy this? How do you, who do you talk to? In our case, they ask who we talk to on the market research side, who we talk to on the publisher side. So you know that um, research clients would actually pay for these surveys. How do we have proof that publishers would actually install these survey walls on their sites? Those type of, those type of ideas. Um, and they, they, they write publicly about what they look for. You, your readers or your listeners can... Um, find Paul Graham's blog. He talks a lot about what they look for. They look for, um, I think he used the phrase, um, uh, I think resilient and resourcefully resilient or something like that. Huh, okay. Um, for people who are resourceful and, and resilient. So, yeah, li- little tip on that one, actually. I like that. Uh, folks who are looking to apply to Y Combinator or even any accelerator, it sounds like Paul's got a good blog on what he's looking for in the first place. So, how's that for nice, obvious clues? Okay, great. It is, yeah, exactly. He, and, and he did, um, Paul Graham is no longer the head of YC. That is a, a guy named Sam Altman. Um, so Paul, of course, the founder of YC and, and uh, was the main driving force behind it for years. So reading his book yep. is, is hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. Um, so that's, that's a great uh, great resource for your, your listeners. Um, but yeah, so back to your question about the actual process. So you, you do this 10-minute interview. Um, it, flies by and the, the, the funny but true story I like to tell from that is there's this big clock in front of you on the table and at one point I looked up at the clock and saw two minutes and I thought holy crap I can't believe two minutes has flown by um, this only felt like a few seconds and then I looked and realized the clock was at 155 I was actually counting down so eight minutes have gone by and my perception time was so off um, in that experience wow um, so that <laughs> I, and I don't know if that is common but I Never asked anyone else if it felt like that, but uh, it does. It does fly by, um, and so I think the advice for anyone who's ever going through it is um, be prepared to um, not have ball control. And this is an advice I got from some founders who had gone through it, and that means don't try to drive it yourself. Don't just try to cut them off and say no. You don't, you don't understand. Let me explain this another way. Let them. They will ask a lot of questions, and you have to just answer them succinctly and move on to the next question. If someone ask you a question while you're giving a previous answer, then just, like, stop and answer that question. Like, they, they, they're very efficient at sucking a lot of information out of you in a short period of time. So yep. you, shouldn't, um, you shouldn't feel like you need to kind of drive, drive the conversation. Um, and then I think uh, the, the other thing people always ask me is um, what to wear, and, and you should absolutely wear whatever you do every day. So um, unless, you, <laughs> unless you actually truly wear a suit on on, on Every Saturday, you probably should not wear a suit to uh, one comment or interviews. Yeah, I, I sleep in a suit, so that would be that wouldn't be hard for there me. You go, but then. If you sleep in yeah, suit, not a problem then. Not a problem at all. You'll, so, you'll <laughs> do they do they do they request that? Do they do they request? In other words, they say, "Hey, you know, we want you to just dress like you do." I mean, is that an explicit deal there? I can imagine. Yeah, 
I don't, I don't remember. Um, it, it may be. I think they do tell you some of the, the tips. Hey, we're going to wear shorts and t-shirts, so you can wear whatever you want. Um, and I think that's, you could argue that's almost a screener for people who get it. Um, if you, that's kind of a general silk Valley mentality. If you think like the quality of your tie matters, <laughs> it, it, um, then you're just the wrong person. They, they really want people who know just the ability to come up with a great idea and, and build it and get customers for it. What yeah, so, go to New York I if you want to just you know ride exactly, on the yeah. ride on the on the thread count in your tie. Maybe Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, got it. So um, be prepared to uh, lose ball control or, or not to have ball control. So in terms of in terms of what you think, uh, maybe a two step question here. In terms of what you think got you in the room in the first place for your application maybe versus a million others. Maybe they told you. Maybe you made some inklings. You got to see who else went through. You've talked to some other successful uh, founders who've gone through the program. Um, what do you think was sort of the success factor that sort of got you over that tipping edge point to even get that 10 minutes? Yeah, I, the, the short answer is I don't know. Um, they, don't give the, they don't give explicit feedback on why you get to the interview or not. Yeah, I can't. Um, I can't imagine it's it's any one yeah, factor really, they can point a finger at. But kind of, there's a silver bullet one way or the other. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say um, maybe it's a, a few things. I had at the time I was working at another startup, so I had some sort of experience. I um, had done some small uh, scale startups um, back in college, so um, maybe um, again I'm guessing that maybe that gave the impression that um, I got startups and, and had a passion for them, which, which I think I do. <laughs> yep. Um, and also maybe um, just the fact that they, they may have liked the idea or liked the way we had ex- um, communicated it and liked the, the uh, research and evaluation of the idea we had done to date. Um, and then I also think, I can't remember whether I got any recommendations from existing YC um, founders. I don't. I don't know if I did. Uh, you can do that, though. Um, they don't say how much weight that gives you. So if you know a current founder, you can have to, you can ask them to recommend you through some stuff. But again, I, I don't have any insight into whether that helps or or not. Got it. That's another thing. You, another thing you can try. I think it, you think it matters at least a little bit because in general, smart founders tend to know other smart founders. Um, so if you're someone who was close friends or former colleagues with five Understood. Um, so that's probably 
Cl- clarity and understanding what it is that you're doing, uh, how it is that you're going to pull it off, why it is that you're unique, and, and being able to, to say that succinctly. I mean, presumably very similar skills to pitching in person and, and or, you know, across the board in terms of stars, whether you're raising money, et cetera, just brought down to the level of, of a uh, uh, an application to, to YC. But it is useful that um, that they do actually, to some degree, you know, even if it's not a guaranteed ticket, accept... Uh, a recommendation to someone that's already gone through the program. It sounds like if you can go through your Rolodex and make that happen, it really can't hurt. Um, in terms of takeaways that I would kind of flag for somebody that wants to make it happen, uh, you know, I, I, I might push that button were I in that circumstance myself. Um, Chris, moving into sort of your experience there at Y Combinator, not only to are people rather interested most likely in terms of what gets you in and, and sounds to me as though uh, the the clarity and succinctness of the idea are a big factor there um, in terms of who you've seen make it or not uh, as well as reading Paul's blog which sounds like it'd be a great place to start um, what did you really feel like you you got out of the program when you were there maybe some of this is really to be expected and nobody's going to be surprised but maybe some of it is pretty unique and, and cool stuff that most people wouldn't think about as being part of the algorithm part of the experience so lay it on us um, you know what did you really feel like you got out of it while you were there at YC yeah so I as you'd imagine certainly not the first time I've been asked that question um, and how I usually answer it is by saying there's four types of benefits you get out of it. Um, the first one is probably the most obvious, which is the money, because um, they give you an investment. Um, and um, some people have raised money before, some people have not. In our case, we had not. So this is the first money in. Um, it, it, is, it is the same per startup, Chris? Am I wrong? Excuse me? It is the same per company? Am I wrong there? Um, I believe it is. Um, in nine out of ten or more cases. I, I don't know whether there's some people that make exceptions. I don't think they publicly talk about that. But for the vast, vast majority, it is the same per company. So everyone gets the, the same deal. Got it. Um, and that, it's, it has changed. Um, when we went through, it was, I believe, um, 17K for YC. And it, that, that number varies based on the number of founders. So I guess I guess my incorrect part of that answer was um, you do get additional money if you have three founders versus two. Uh, at least that was the case a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, but only by an extra seven or so thousand on a drastic amount. And then uh, I think we had 150000 on a convertible note from a, a, um, syndicate of investors that they had were working at the time. That has since changed. Um, I believe now it's uh, something like a hundred, hundred twenty-five thousand, and I forget what part comes from YC and what part comes from their investment partners. Um, so that you, I'm sure your your readers can Google that. They, they publicly talk about that too. Um, so for us, we got I guess one hundred sixty-seven thousand um, just for the ten-minute interview. <laughs> guess arguably a very good use of time. Um, yep. So that, that benefit is, um, and of course, if some people have already raised money, so that amount of money moves them, you know, less. Some people. Uh, um, this was the first dime into the company, so it's very valuable, um, and it lets you actually be able to feed yourself for the for the summer because people, of course, are quitting their jobs and um, taking their salaries to to do these startups. Um, so that's the, the first benefit is, is the money, um, and the second thing is is the advice, which you probably hear a lot about. Um, you get to meet with different partners, um, and of course, can get advice from colleagues. Um, they have a nice system where you can request office hours. Um, the partners of YC and get advice from them. So that's something that is it's helpful. It's good to check in with, with a third-party 
Um, at that stage, even once a week is helpful because you're so much has changed in the first few weeks, uh, first few months of the startup that it's good to have an experienced eye look at what you're doing and give you uh, very direct feedback. So the advice is, um, and of course some people take more advantage of it than, than others, but the advice is something that can be helpful. Um, the third thing that I mentioned is the network. That's both of that current class here and also the alumni. By now they funded, um, I don't know the number, I, I think this is probably they, they publicize this too, but it's probably by now over 600, over 650 or so startups, maybe over 700 or so by now. And yeah. um, so that's a lot of startup founders that you can reach out to. And, and there's an email list you get on, whole bunch of list. You can ask questions to that group. You'll meet people uh, around, especially around San Francisco, or last year long, but it's, it's uh, like any community or any school, it's something that uh, alumni have a kind of a, a bonding factor in there. And that's something you can both get advice or interest in companies or interest for um, if you want to try to sell to someone if they're wise you can use that as the, the inroad. So it's, it's a pretty valuable network. Some people joke it's, it's the new business school <laughs> in terms of being a, such a powerful network for startups. So yeah, and I think... I think I think that's probably safe to say. I mean, accelerators in general in many different respects, I think, are, are being seen as such. So so for you, the network, obviously, for the advice there, but then you're also mentioning um, if if need be, and you're going to sell your, your startup, That's it's a nice foot in the door in terms of that network because you can now reach out to a lot of qualified and plugged-in people um, to be able to get maybe some cool options for an exit that you wouldn't get if you had just built the thing in your garage. Yeah, I think I think that's right, um, and it, it helps with uh, kind of as you touch on every aspect of of startups. It, it helps with uh, if you want to get intro to a reporter to get some press or intro to someone for a sale or um, yeah, some people I'm sure you can get intros for for acquisitions. So it's, it's a pretty powerful network network to have and, and a good network to be a part of. Um, but yeah, so that's the what I always say is the third asset, so to speak, uh, and the fourth one that I think that's talked about the least. Um, it's just the culture, because um, it is. It does serve as a forcing function to do this for a summer. You're not on on an island by yourself, just building a company. You're, you're doing this with a lot of other people who are in the same company stage as you. And that's incredibly powerful, and um, to have that support that they give, because you're not. Um, you'll go through all this typical and expected <laughs> stress and frustration of, of getting a company off the ground, but to talk to people who are in the same exact position. And to kind of share those honest experiences is something that I think is is enormously helpful. Um, and also, it's a forcing function in that it, it makes you um, kind of um, get your butt moving every week to, to get stuff done. Because you, you go to a weekly dinner with your other the other founders in the class, and they'll they want to talk about what they've done in the past week. Um, and why she talks about this too, the, the benefit of hey, you don't want to be the only person who has nothing new to show off at dinner. So you can actually, um, you can see yourself being motivated by, hey, we have dinner tomorrow night. What are we, what are we going to get done before the dinner tomorrow night? The, that's that's tomorrow absolutely night. hilarious. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. It's, uh, to me, it was unexpected. I, I knew it would be fun to have um, a lot of other people around, but I, I thought it would be powerful um, just to have that deadline. It's kind of, if anything else, it's just a reminder. It's a mild marker that another week has passed, so you won't have however many weeks in the program, and another one I've passed when I become a Tuesday dinner. So if, even if you don't plan on, on showing off anything new to your, um, 
your, your classmates. It, it, that mile mark is kind of a good, good motivating factor. Um, and also just the fact that you're in a program, it, it puts Demo Day is this um, kind of hard stop on your efforts for the summer. Because as, as a lot of your readers may know, that the summer call, well, we do the summer class, we also do winter class. The, the classes culminate in a Demo Day where they um, put all the startups on the stage and bring in 500 plus investors to hear all the pitches. And having that hard stop um, really puts things in perspective and say, hey, we have three months to kind of get on stage and, and announce to the world who we are. So it, it kind of, <laughs> for, you, you don't have to present a demo day, but almost everyone does. It, it kind of puts a hard stop at when you need to announce yourself to the public and, and start getting some attention. And that, that's powerful. That's a powerful function, forcing function, too. Yeah, I like that just as sort of a psychological factor. In other words, um, you know, if, if you're in your garage building your startup, hypothetically, you can always put off. Uh, the new feature, this, or what we need to really get this thing out there uh, one more week or one more month or work on one other ancillary deal. But if you know you want to demo and you want to get up there and, you, and you keep up with your peers, if that can sort of throttle you to a good enough level to get things off the ground and hopefully better than good enough, um, then that's sort of an environmental factor you might not find elsewhere. So that's another cool, potentially unexpected yeah. benefit of actually being there. Yeah. I think that's right. What, what you mentioned is um, is dead on. Where it it will never be good enough. Uh, your first version um, will never ever feel good enough. Um, and a lot of people say if, if you launch one, it feels good enough, then you waited way too long. So um, as you mentioned, if you're sitting in a garage, it's easy just to push off. Well, let's wait three more months before we launch it to the public, or three more months before we talk to investors, or etc. And having that card stop. Um, Kind of eliminates that line of thinking <laughs> because you're you have to just go straight. All right, well, this is if we're going to present a demo day, this is going to be what we have. So, um, good, like, good enough. If you don't think it's good enough, then, then too bad. Um, yeah, so that's definitely a, a helpful factor. Got it. Cool. And and just because I realize we're we're coming close on on time here, um, in terms of in terms of what you feel as though you have now. Uh, that you've left YC. So you're out in the business world. You guys have half a dozen folks. You're on California. Um, you know, what are sort of the, what are the lingering, le- or what are the lessons of leaving that excitement, that pinnacle, that little peer-induced uh, kind of motivation hub of, of YC itself and making the transition to the business world? Any ways that you've seen that go terribly wrong going from accelerator to real life, quote-unquote, um, or maybe ways that have gone right, or maybe lessons you've learned yourself. I realize we're limited on time, but I think some little lessons there would certainly be helpful because that's part of the game here. So uh, let me know what you got yeah, in that category. Right. So, so you're right. The, the, the YC founders kind of warned of this post demo day depression where you do have to go back to reality, as, um, as they call it. And I think it's as you mentioned. And you kind of lose all those, those benefits I mentioned, all those forcing functions I, I mentioned, because now there is no hard stopping. You're on your own. It's almost like you're, you graduate, you're out of school, and, and it's up to you what to do with your life. In this case, it's up to you what to do with your company. So um, losing that network and that regularity of weekly dinners um, can, can be tough because it definitely changes your perspective. All of a sudden, you have to start thinking on a much longer time frame. And um, yeah, particular pointers for that, I think um, part of it is to try to recreate the environment of life as much as you can. So. Uh, for our class, people, I think for a while, some people try to recreate the weekly dinners for at least the first few months just so they can kind of, and they kind of naturally die out. Maybe they became once a month and every two months and every six months, et cetera. But um, 
at least kind of <laughs> let you ease your way back into um, reality. So, to speak. so that's, that's something that I think can help is, is continuing some of those regular events more often. Um, and we try to stay in touch with um, our classmates. You're not going to stay in touch with everyone, but if you have even, a, even just a few friends that you still talk to um, and check in with them, and that's something that um, has been helpful. And you can even still book the, the office hours. So um, starters can still, if I want to talk to a licensed partner this week, I, I can do so. So that's you cool. still are able to take advantage of those resources. Um, but part of it is just you have, kind of have to learn the hard way of, hey, you're not responsible for um, your, your company's success or failure. That there's no, um, no one's going to check up on you <laughs> weekly. It's all yeah, yeah, yeah. And once you, once you internalize that, um, you eventually just realize it's not a bad thing and that's just the way it's have you have you seen anybody sort of make up? So it it sounds like again I, I like to be able to distill this stuff into takeaways and and you can make sure that they're correct here. But it sounds like one might be you know what were the fantastic motivating, exhilarating and productive components of life in accelerator. You know whether it's YC or not. I imagine there's always going to be those kind of juicing factors. Uh, fruitful factors, and then how can you integrate that into some kind of a regimen when you do go back to quote-unquote day-to-day life? In other words, you can make your own structures, you can learn from what helped you and motivated you, and continue those. It sounds like that's a little bit of potential practical takeaway from from what you're saying here. Yep, I think I think that's right. Maybe one way to do that is, is um, set very specific milestones for yourself and say, hey, three months out, we need to have this. If we haven't hit that, then we're going Miles out, we need to have this. We've got to hit that, then we're failing. And if you agree with yourself on those milestones up front, then it's easier to be honest three or six or nine months later with uh, got it. you're actually hitting that. So that's, that's one uh, tactical trick that uh, I've seen people do. And did you go with that yourself in terms of, okay, we're, 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 stepping, we're stepping out of here. It's time to set new kinds of deadlines that won't be set by some other body, but that we'll have to set ourselves. Here's the benchmarks that we want to now hit. You know, we had the big uh, build-up towards presenting. Now, you know, here, here's how we can go about it henceforth. Did you do something similar? Yeah, we did. I, I can't remember the exact goals or, or numbers or metrics, but I remember having those conversations. And um, I did find that mentality was, was helpful because it, um, it prevents you from just floundering forever um, because you have to kind of realize you need to make progress by a certain date or not. Um, so I did find we, we did some version of that, and yeah, definitely recommend it. Keep up the momentum, keep up the urgency. So, okay, very good. Um, so, uh, cool. And, and Chris, I mean, if people want to learn more about your company, it's it's easy enough. It's Servata.com. Uh, um, if they want to potentially connect to you, whether it's on social or, or wherever else, where are the coolest places to reach out? Yeah, so uh, two ways. Of course, I, I'll take any uh, emails. Happy to hear directly from your listeners, and my email is just chris, C-H-R-I-S, at servata.com, S-U-R-V-A-T-A.com, and if they want to follow me on Twitter, I'm just Chris Kelly, C-H-R-I-S-K-E-L-L-Y. Easy enough. Very good. Chris, thank you again very much for being here for the interview with Tech Emergence. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, If you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, 
And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious f- uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>